Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. We have one of our girlfriends on today. We're so excited. This is our friend Robin Graham, who is one of our former Four Chicks chatting partners. We met Robin a number of years ago. We'll get into all the details of it. But the reason we wanted to have her back today is because she epitomizes what it means to be brilliantly resilient. And we are so happy to have Robin Graham join us. Thank you for being here, sister. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me on. I'm happy to be here. It's good to see you guys. I know it's been, we, you know, for a while there, we, we saw each other and we're texting each other nonstop. And then the thing that was supposed to happen, which was that we would all get really busy happened. And the downside of that was that we don't get to text and talk and see each other much at all anymore. So this is a great opportunity for us to see you and catch up and share your brilliance with everybody. So Let's start at a couple of years ago when Robin Graham was afraid of doing everything and now is taking on the world. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm taking on the world um, and fear has never gone away, but I guess um, I would say courage has just kind of taken over. I've decided that I sat on the sidelines for so many years and for too many years. And I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I had things I wanted to say to help other people. And I decided to put my voice out there. Wow. So what, 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 what do you dig into to, to just, I mean, you know, of course, in being brilliantly resilient, you make the decision. That's what we say all the time. So you made the decision. Where do you go to then to get that, to find that courage, to just tell the world what you want them to hear? Hmm. (laughs) Where do you get that? I'm not sure. Um, I have to say that for me, I think it was a matter of growth. I just decided that I wasn't going to let my mind and the little trolls in the back of my head continue to talk and be the louder voice. And I prayed a lot and I finally answered a calling that had been on my heart for a long time and I got really vulnerable. And once I accepted that vulnerability, I was able then to tap into resources within myself. I didn't even know I had, I didn't even know existed. And so I think it was a combination of things to be perfectly honest. It was, I grew in faith. I listened to a calling from God. I, I grew as an individual and I opened myself up to expose the non-perfect side of me Hmm. that I had been living with trying to be for way too many years. So once I was able to allow myself not to be perfect, to uh, embrace the, all of the things that were broken inside of me and tell my story and face some of those, I guess, demons in the closet, you could say, I was able to move forward and that's what's happened. I, I love so much about that because 
in truth, what you're saying is sometimes it's not about courage. Sometimes it's it's about being afraid and doing it anyway and saying, you know, here's where I am. It's not where I want to be. And if I wait to get brave enough, I'm probably never going to do this. So you kind of have right. to just say, okay, as, and as you said, get okay with those, this I love, the non-perfect parts of yourself. Yeah. And I don't think courage is ever the absence of fear. I think fear exists no matter what. And especially for me, I've had a journey of lifelong anxiety. Like it, it, there was never a time since I was six years old, I didn't have anxiety. Sometimes it was debilitating. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes I could push through. Sometimes I could not, but I did have courage to push myself into situations that I thought were impossible and that fear probably should have quote unquote held me back from, but I was able to tap into resources and maybe that was surrounding myself by people that pushed me forward. Maybe it was God's grace. I'm not exactly sure, but I think there was always a component of courage, but not an absence of fear. I just pushed through that fear and I'm not an exceptional person. Anyone can do this, but it's a matter of taking action and not just sitting in that place of where you are and letting those things control you. You know, I love that you say that you prayed and listened and then tapped into resources that you already have. Because I did mm-hmm. the same thing with when I was dealing with the blindness diagnosis, you know, and then I prayed it away for all those years. And then when I just finally said, okay, well then um, you're gonna have to send me some resources because I got nothing here. There had, what I, what I realized I did was there were people that were in my life that were there to help. And I wasn't seeing them because I didn't want mm-hmm. to, I had my head totally turned in a different direction of what I wanted. And when I let go of that and started looking at stuff for what it really was, Mary Fran always says to ask yourself if it's true, you know? And I was like, yes, these people are here to give my sons the, the tools that they need. And when I started looking at it that way, everything changed. I mean, I, I mean of course I was still scared to death, right. Of what was going to happen mm-hmm. and still plug forward. And then, um, and then there you go. But it, it's that it's, I guess we always think that we need all this outside stuff and strength and qualifications and learn things. And you really have a lot of stuff inside you already. You're proof of that. Yeah. And I think sometimes people get into victim mode where they, they sit and think, well, why is this happening to me? Instead of flipping the switch on that conversation, that narrative to this is happening for me. And, you know, I, I may have struggled for a lot of years and a lot of people have said to me, I didn't even know you had anxiety. I didn't even know you were an introvert. Well, yeah, because I had a facade. I lived with a facade my entire life. And when you, when you come from that place, it's, it's shocking to some people, but for you, it's a significant relief. And really every single thing that has ever happened to me in my life, I am now using that for the benefit of other people. And if people asked me when I published my book, someone, someone said to me, well, what is your ROI going to be on this book? What is your goal ROI? And I, I didn't even think about that. Like I didn't put a monetary value on this book. I didn't expect to make money off of this book, but if I could save one person from dying by suicide, then that's my ROI. I don't want to have people struggle, young girls, young women 
parents struggle with anxiety the way I did for all of those years. And it wasn't until I became a parent that, and saw my children experiencing these same things that I thought this has to stop. Like they can't have the same life cycle that I've had. And it was amazing how, even when my husband read my book, he was like, this explains so much. And it wasn't that I wasn't myself with him. It was that my reactions to situations, my response to different stimuli, my engagements with different people in different circumstances and my reactions to those things made sense after he read the book and knew my history, my childhood, everything I've been through on my journey that I never talked about. Wow. So let's, I let's... didn't want to be judged. I was ashamed. Yes. And so, you know, when you, when you live in that place of being a victim, why is this happening to me versus for me? And you feel ashamed of all of those things you're stuck and it just takes action to move yourself forward. So I do want to, to, to tell everyone that what we're talking about is Robin's book, you, me and mm-hmm. anxiety that was just published back. I believe it was in March right? March, March 15th, mm-hmm. March 15th. Um, and this is, this is a culmination. The thing that I love about this is this is, this is not your primary profession as an author. Um, you started as a photographer. Now you are a branding expert and you're guiding entrepreneurs and people on how to, to brand. So when Kristen and I often talk about brilliance, we want people to understand that it doesn't have to be the way you make your living. It has to be that part of yourself, that passion that speaks to you that I call it the tug that won't let you go. And sometimes the tug can, I think, originate in a really challenging place as it did for you with anxiety. And I can relate to you because you know that I am an incredibly anxious person too, and an introvert. No one believes that, but I, you know, like give me a book in a corner and I'm much happier than in a whole crowded room full of people. But the point being that um, when we encourage people to find their brilliance, it can it can come from your challenges and your pain. And when you bring it out into the light of day, and as you said, use it to help other people, that's when you get that, that ROI, where you share that with the world in a meaningful way. So tell us about, first of all, when you decided to write the book, and there's a special emphasis in the book on teens, which is so important right now. Mm-hmm. So honestly, okay. So, you know, I went to pharmacy school, I got a doctorate degree and for 20 years, that's what I did. I worked in the corporate environment and I did all those things. I'm a strategic thinker, but I also have this creative side of my brain. So when I, our, our family life was getting crazy and we were experiencing some challenges with the kids and John and I were both traveling and it was just complete insanity. We decided that I would take a step back and I would follow my passion And I became a professional photographer. And when I did that, I had this, I don't know, thought that I would create a book and I would photograph teens with anxiety to tell a story of anxiety because so many people can't put words to how they're feeling, teens and children especially. So what I wanted to do was give people a tool where someone could go to a therapist's office and open this book and say, oh my gosh, that's how I feel. Mm. I couldn't put that into word, but that words, but that's how I feel. And so that project started, I photographed a few teen girls and it was an incredible experience 
because they were sharing their souls with me. They got very vulnerable. They told their story and then I captured it in photographs and it was pretty amazing. But three people was not enough to tell the full story of anxiety. And so I had to take a step back because despite my efforts to work with therapists and things, there's this, you know, the rules and regulations and HIPAA and all these things that were sort of roadblocks. So I thought, you know what, this isn't going to go where I thought it was going to go. And I took a step back and then I just felt this calling to tell my story. And I didn't want to tell my story. I dug my heels in because then the world would know, right? What a mess (laughs) that everything really has been. And I happened to get together with my college girlfriends and I shared things with them that they didn't know. And that, you know, I went through when we were in college. And so they were like, Oh my gosh, we had no idea. And they're like, you have to tell your story. And they encouraged me when I told them that I was thinking about writing a book, they're like, write the book. And I kept hearing this over and over, write the book, write the book. And so I just, I started to write and I thought, how can I make the most impact with this? And seeing the world we're living in that there were so many teens struggling, the, the incidents of eating disorders, death by suicide, drug addiction. There's so many factors that are escalating because of anxiety, mm-hmm. which leads to depression, which there's so many facets that it can be the base of, but people don't understand what anxiety really is. And there are so many times that parents will say, just get over it. Just go do it. You can't do that with anxiety. Action has to be taken and it's a team effort. And so the, the focus was on teen girls because I really wanted to give girls and young women a tool to help guide them through life, making better decisions, not letting anxiety rule their decisions and their thoughts and prevent them from doing the things that they have on their heart that they want to do. So that was the, the basis of, you know, my decision, the push for writing the book. But as I started writing, I thought I I have to have a parent component to this book because I can give this to teens, but a teen may not have the resources to actually go and get therapy or to get medication. And if their parent is telling them, oh, you're fine, just get over it, just do it anyway, then they're not going to be able to navigate it. So then when I wrote the parent component, the parent component dives deeper into, you know, my parenting experiences with teens with anxiety, but also my childhood and the things that my parents could have done differently that they didn't know to do back then, as well as um, just guiding parents on, okay, these could be the triggers. If you're seeing these these signs and symptoms, maybe it is anxiety. Maybe it's beyond what they can just get over. And so that's why there are two books. And then the journal is the, the method that I use still in my like daily journaling practices every single day to help me navigate everything related to anxiety. Wow. So are there, are there a couple of triggers off the top of your head that we can, that we can talk about the parents that are listening it might, you know, resonate with them of, oh, that sounds like what's happening in my house. So what I would say, it's more, less triggers and more signs or symptoms. So if you have a teen in there or even yourself, I think what has happened a lot of times with adults is they've had lifelong anxiety, but didn't know they had anxiety. 
they're behaving in certain ways, but they don't know why they're behaving certain ways. And I use my father as an example of this in the book. He, he had a raging temper and that temper would only flare when his anxiety escalated. We didn't know this back then. And it wasn't until shortly before he passed away from cancer that he actually sought the help he needed and had a diagnosis of anxiety and was put on medication and went to therapy and his entire world flipped upside down for the good, for the better, right? So a lot of times what happens is your team may seem irritable. They may have angry outbursts and you can't understand why. Maybe they are exceptionally fatigued. They're not sleeping well. Maybe they're experiencing chronic headaches. Maybe they have stomach pain and it's unexplained. You've taken them to the doctor. They can't find anything wrong with them. And a lot of times, you know, a general practitioner may evaluate the patient and they see nothing physical, but they don't know to take it to that next level of mental health. I think now the, the information is coming forth more readily. So maybe that's changing, but in general, you think about when you go to your general practitioner, you go in there for one complaint, they're going to evaluate you for that complaint. You don't always, they don't always go to the next level. And so that happens a lot of times with anxiety. I'm a perfect example of that. I always had stomach pain to this day. I know when I'm anxious because I have this feeling that is the same every single time. And I have to stop and I have to think, okay, what do I have coming up? What could possibly be triggering this? Was it a conversation I had a few days ago? Is it a talk I'm giving in a few weeks? Is it a project I'm working on? Is it a potential new client? But all of those things, I have to just go through and see, okay, what is the situation? And then I have to navigate that situation. And it's, you know, Mary friend, you, you mentioned um, being in a room full of people. So for example, if you're an anxious person, and especially if you're an introvert, you go into a networking event or you have this event on your calendar and you feel different. You've maybe you're not sleeping. You're waking up in the middle of the night. You have this sense of panic. Your heart is racing. You have shortness of breath, any of those things. Maybe you are anxious about this upcoming event. So you can create a strategy. You know, maybe it's a strategy to come up with different things that you can talk about when, because small talk is very hard for someone who's anxious and someone who's an introvert. So maybe you can come up with a couple of things that you can say when you meet someone that you can ask them and to get to know them better and to, to start that conversation so that it's deeper than just small talk. Maybe you can, um, you know, plan your outfit ahead of time. Maybe you can take a friend with you so you don't have to go alone. Different things that strategies that you can do to make sure that you are prepared And then give yourself that opportunity that, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my brave face on. I'm going to do this. But if I don't like it and I'm not comfortable and I don't feel well, I'm going to give myself the grace to leave. Mm -hmm. So you commit to 30 minutes, you leave. If you don't like what you're experiencing, right? So it's the same thing with teens. You know, there are, and I think, and I see this all the time, you know, on this, on the sports fields is a great example. And Kristen, I know you're in the throes of that with your daughter and you hear these parents yelling and screaming number 18, get it together. You know, number 18, why'd you miss that? Whatever the situation is. And that is only increasing the level of anxiety that these kids are already experiencing because they have so much on their plate and there are so many social pressures. And of course, Social media isn't helping with that. And so in the book, I give teens and parents just re- simple recommendations that, that they can do to 
and you guys, I know you use the word reset, but it really is almost, you know, stepping back and taking a look at your entire life and the perspective you have on it and make little shifts so that you can navigate that anxiety and still be able to live a purposeful, joyful life the way your peers are doing. Wow. You know, it's really, it's interesting to me um, when you first started talking about this, one of the, the things that you said was you get that feeling. And for me, one of the things that um, is so important is that recognition that I felt this before, mm-hmm. you know, that, that immediate, okay, I have felt this before. And that idea of taking that inventory of what's coming up or what could be causing this, because I think the tendency is to just, you know, especially for teens, the world is so much out of our control and especially with them in this day and age, they feel that it's out of control. And I know with David, you, you both and our listeners know my history with my son. I mean, he, he ended up becoming an addict looking back now. I, I know he was always anxious, but I, I didn't know what to do about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And to have those strategies that are so simple that just say, first, acknowledge this. You've mm-hmm. been here before. You felt this before and you've survived up to this point. So let's figure out what's coming up that could be causing it. And I think it allows teens to not necessarily have control, but recognize that they can at least be intentional about their actions in a certain situation. And and that's maybe all that you get. You can't control the situation, but you can be intentional about your actions. And that's one of the key things and your reactions. I think well, that's one that's, of the key things for kids. Exactly. And our thoughts control our results. The, the cognitive behavioral therapy method is actually based on the fact that, you know, we have beliefs, we have thoughts, and then our beliefs will kind of influence our thoughts, but our thoughts influence our emotions, our emotions influence our actions and behaviors. So if you were sitting in a place of anxious, negative thoughts, and if you think of a Ferris wheel, this is the analogy I use in the book. You know, when you get on a Ferris wheel, it it goes slow at first. It lets other people on other people off. And it's this slow cycle at first. But then when everybody gets on, it goes very, very, very fast. And it just keeps going fast. Well, if you think of negative thoughts coming into the brain, they're coming into the brain and they just keep coming in and coming in faster and faster and faster because one what if leads to another what if to another what if and so on. But It's not stopping to let negative thoughts off and positive thoughts in. And so it becomes a vicious cycle. So you have to break the cycle of those thoughts is what ultimately has to happen. So like you said, I I have my rag model that I use and it's, you know, recognize, address, and then get rid of to get control. And so when you think about recognizing those, those thoughts, those anxious feelings, it's recognizing them and then so catching them and then addressing them by challenging them is this realistic? Would so-and-so who appears completely normal actually be thinking the same way I'm thinking? Mm. And, you know, so you, could this be proven in a court of law? Is this thought, (laughs) is it true? Yeah. I mean, that whole idea of, is it true? Is this based in fact, or, and this is important for teens because they're in such an emotional state, or is this partially a creation of my emotions? Exactly. And so, you know, once you can challenge those thoughts, you can start to get rid of those thoughts by changing them. And then the more you do this practice, the more control you can have over 
the influence those thoughts have on your emotions and your behaviors or your actions. And then you start to become more confident. So you can then put yourself in positions or situations that you weren't able to do before. And I think when we talked at the very beginning about, you know, doing things despite fear, it becomes when you become more confident, you can do those things that you couldn't do before. And the fear is still there, but now you have the confidence that you've done the work. So now you know that your brain is going to be quiet for a little while and let you do the thing. That's not to say that you won't have doubt. You won't have fear. Those things are going to exist. And I, I don't like the phrase overcoming anxiety, because especially if it's genetic, you, you can't ever be completely free of it. You're always going to have triggers. You're it's always going to resurface, but you can navigate it by taking action. And so the action becomes using this model to, you know, step-by-step break down those thoughts and then change them. I love that you say not overcoming anxiety because people say overcoming blindness. I'm like still blind. They are still blind. They are just working with it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. There's so many things we're supposed to overcome, but it's not possible to overcome, but we can learn skills, techniques, tools, strategies to be able to navigate those things and still have a meaningful, purposeful, joyful life. Let me ask you this, as you're talking about, you know, working, I, lo- I love how you just described that whole thing, that the anxiety is still there, but then you have these tools and you work through it and you navigate. Do you sit back <coughs> after you do a lot of that at the end of the day or after, after something that would have typically triggered a lot of anxiety and you manage it and get through it? Do you sit back and celebrate yourself at least a little bit that you had that win of, of navigating that? Oh, oh my gosh. So Yes. And this is where gratitude comes into play. So when, when you, when, so my journaling practice, my day starts with journaling devotions, journaling, and I go through different models, you know, like I, what I just described so that I can, okay, where are my thoughts and what are my feelings? So what action can I take to either shift them or to move forward? And then what results do I expect to achieve? And so as I go through that in the morning, I can look back on that at the evening. And that is where gratitude comes into play. So I can say, okay, I did that today. I'm grateful for that. Or maybe this didn't work out, but here's what I learned. So I'm grateful for that. So I always close out my day with at least three things I'm grateful for. And that those may be wins and they may be mistakes. They may be failures. They may be things that just didn't go my way, but there's always an opportunity for gratitude, no matter what the win or the loss was, because I've learned in whatever that situation was. So to me, gratitude has been a very significant part of my journey too, because I don't, again, it's going back to that thought that things don't happen to you. They happen for you. So if you really sit and look at the bonuses that life throws you through all of those things you experience, there's something to be grateful for every single day. Yeah, I agree. I've been doing the same. It was life-changing probably the past seven, eight months. Everything that like, as we say, those sucker punches coming, just saying to myself, this is happening for me, not to me. And let me look for what I'm supposed to find in that Mm -hmm. as opposed to that taking the wind out of me and then spiraling. Well, you guys know, I mean, I I was in a, a relationship of 19 years of, of negative talk at me and it, it would replay in my head. So I do the same at the end of the day, I'm like, I'll realize there was a situation where the old me 
would have said, this is happening to me, go in victim mode and tell myself all that negative self-talk. And it, in the beginning, it, I felt like I was in a workout to revamp my brain, you know, in that situation. Now it it is so much easier. It still happens. Like I still, and I'll catch myself and say, I was just at an event last night and I thought, oh my God, all these people are going to be like, why'd she choose that dress as she's up on stage? And I had to like, stop. And I'm like, you chose it because in the picture, it looks amazing. You know what I mean? Like I have to talk myself back into positive. And then at the end of the night, I was like, I did it again. I was able to flip it around. Now, sometimes I get frustrated with myself that I still have that negative tape in there, but at least I give myself the grace that I flip it when I, yeah. And I think everybody experiences that on some level, um, especially high achievers experience that a lot. I call it brain junk and it's like little trolls talking in the back of my head. And there are multiple of them. And a lot of times they don't want to be quiet, but it's, and it, it is exhausting to constantly have to be on your guard to say, okay, enough, like we're done here. You go to sleep and I'm doing this, but you know, you really do have to be mindful of what is being said inside your head. Wow. I think another one of the, the things that Kristen and I talk about all the time, and this can be helpful for teens too, is that idea of not being married to a certain outcome when you do something. Like when you, you, you have to be open to whatever evolution the situation may take and recognize that that may not be in your control. It may not be part of your plan. It may not be anything that you wanted But if you can just recognize that you didn't cause something to go south or you didn't, nothing that you did necessarily influenced it, you can kind of roll with it a little bit more and say, okay, well, how can I then react to this? So there's that idea of, I always say not giving up, but giving it up and just kind of turning the experience over to, you know, the greater power or whatever's out there and, and, and it's hard for kids to let go because so little is in their control, but when they recognize that it's an opportunity for learning something and don't put any other restraints on it, that may be a helpful way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I talk about that in the book too. And the, a lot of times kids, well, adults, people who have anxiety also have OCD. And so a lot of times it's really, really hard. And this is what I say is that, you know, you're not meant to do this alone. And so there are resources available. And if you can't afford the resources that are available, there are resources to help you afford them. So it's really tapping into the resources that that are available to you and just making sure that you have those outside influences to help you navigate it because it's, it's not easy. And sometimes it takes therapy. Sometimes it takes medication. Sometimes it takes a combination, but the reality is scientifically it's six months of both to, in order for you to actually have results. So it, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's a really important message for parents to hear too, because this isn't something that you can just tell your child, well, okay, so it didn't work out. No big deal because it is a big deal in their head. And so you have to help them create uh, the ability to navigate those situations. So everything you said is, is, is accurate, but for a kid or a person who has severe anxieties and then an OCD component on top of that, it's very, very hard for them to see that. And that is why taking action is so incredibly important and really forming a team around the, the, especially a teen or a young adult, really forming a team around them with 
you, maybe you're a therapist, maybe a psychiatrist, if they need medication, but it goes beyond just you and your team, because unless you're a therapist, but even if you are a therapist, a lot of times our children are not going to listen to us the way they're going to listen to somebody else. And so it's very important to bring in those outside resources. They hear that they hear the Charlie Brown, the Charlie Brown teacher voice. Well, 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 listen to anything. Someone else can tell them the exact same thing that we would tell them and they would just it. And, and it is what it is. That's why I love that there's therapists in the world. One mm-hmm. resource I wanted to um, make sure our listeners know, and Robin, you probably already know about this, is our schools. I didn't know this, that our, a lot of our public schools have a program. It's always a different name in all the different schools. But um, a friend of mine that's in education told me about this when my divorce began. And I, was, I wanted to try to give my kids tools before they needed them kind of thing. Um, with all the stress that was happening. And, and a lot of school districts have programs where you call them and they have someone designated that they set up a team in the school. My kids didn't even know it was happening. They had people watching, checking in, whoever they're like, my daughter had a coach. They would just check in asking questions. And then they, they talk with the teachers about, is anyone noticing grade slipping? Is anyone, and to your point of a whole team that was part of, cause the kids are there all day. Right. That was part. And then they would report back to me if they noticed anything, or if they had to, you know, tip me off to something was going haywire. Luckily we didn't have any of that problem, but the other piece I wanted to mention is the fact that you've made the parent piece too, because I'm listening to this and, and I'm sure some listeners are thinking, oh my gosh, or if a teen is listening to this interview, it seems like a lot to go through this book and process on your own. And the fact that you have the parents hearing the same message and then the dialogue, because I've noticed for me, a lot of times it's just talking with somebody that this is like acknowledging feelings and you're giving words to name the feelings and, and exploring some strategies, just talking about it. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, a thousand pounds is off of my shoulders. And a a kid trying to work this out on their own without the parent involved or someone involved has to be just, just too much to handle. So I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that you did the parent piece too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt that it was necessary and it's the exact same book. So the, the, the teen book is the parent book, but then each chapter has a parent section. So it's, you know, the parents are getting to read alongside their child. They can read it at the same time and have the same exact information and talk about it. But then the parent has those additional tips or scenarios and ideas. It's a, it's a non-invasive way for the parent to remain involved. And that's important with teens too, because we know that's the natural time in life when they're separating from parents. So it just compounds all of the, you know, anxiety and the, and the strangeness of the place that they're finding themselves in. So it's, it's great for the parents to, again, get what they are getting, but also have, have those extra tips. So I kind of want to pivot a little bit to your personal journey, because when we all first met, you were our photographer extraordinaire and took that picture, might I say, that is everywhere. So we want to give you credit for that, because everything that you've done for us, we, we can't even begin to say how grateful we are. But you had, you know, you talk about your own journey from, um, from pharmacology, being a doctor of pharmacology, and then you went into photography. And this was always kind of tugging in your mind. And then you pivoted again to the branding thing. And 
I think a couple of years ago when we all first met, this would have been so far out of your comfort zone. All of these things, like to just to have the confidence to maybe not let me qualify that. Not that you don't know on some part of your brain that you can do it, but there's still that, as you said, that anxiety, no matter how many things you do, it never quite leaves. So again, how do you find the um, courage or strength or fortitude or whatever to make a break and do things that are kind of completely different that you don't necessarily have that knowledge base, complete knowledge base in or skill set, but you know, that's where you want to go. Well, so a couple of things, I think for one, I'm just really blessed because despite the anxieties, my brain is pretty remarkable. And I don't mean that in a conceited way, but I have both sides of the brain and they're both working all the time. And so if I see something that there's a need for, I can find a solution for it. And that's what was happening when I was working with my headshot and branding photography clients. I I started consulting with the branding clients because I saw that they weren't, they didn't know what to do. Number one, with their images I was creating for them. They didn't like, I was creating images from a strategic perspective of how they could use those images and tell a story around them. They were just coming to me for images, but they didn't know what to do with them. So I was handing over to them a strategic plan. And, you know, the more I did that, the more I realized I have a gift. Like I, I can help them build their business from ground zero because I know how to do all of these things. And, you know, search engine optimization is one of those things. Images are extremely powerful for search engine optimization, but no one knew that, that I was working with. So every time I would do a shoot, I would have a consultation with them after the shoot. And once they had selected their images and they were blown away by the information I was giving them. And so the more I recognized the need for this, the more, I guess, confident I became that I know all of this and why should I be sitting on this information when I can help other people? And so that's how the, I started coaching at the same time as doing the photography, but then it just grew from there because I had people that maybe they were photography clients. And then they came to me and said, I need your help. I want to build this business, but I don't know what to do or where to start. And so because I had a a decent network, I was able to pull in a team and we were able to build these incredible businesses and launch people that are now making six figures plus. And it's, it's amazing to see the successes that they're having and everything that they're doing now. And so, but in 2021, I, I had to pull away from the photography because I just didn't have enough hours in my day. And as much as I love it, and I still do it for myself from a creative perspective, that's my therapy per se. That's my outlet. Uh, I just didn't want to do that with people anymore because I was writing the book and the coaching and the podcast. It was too much to have four full-time jobs. So I had to get rid of one, but, uh, that was, I don't know if I answered your question completely, but I think just the ability to see that there was a need and I could serve and I could fulfill, provide a solution to the problems that they were experiencing gave me the fuel and the excitement to and confidence to move into that role. And then the more I've learned, you know, writing the book was a huge process for me, but the more I 
tapped back into all my scientific knowledge from pharmacy school and all the, all the peer reviewed journal articles I wrote on psychology and this, that, and the other, I, I brought all of that to the forefront again. And I've just really dove into the mindset component now too. And so to be able to offer that to my coaching clients has been pretty remarkable because the reality is like you said, being afraid or anxious to try new things most people are and imposter syndrome is so significant. And because we're in such a digital world, comparison holds people back dramatically. So being able to help them navigate their own head trash or brain junk is really key for helping their, their businesses grow as well. Well, and I think you hit on something that, <clears throat> pardon me, Kristen and I talk about all the time is this idea of transferable skills you went back to your previous experience with things. You recognize that, that you had a knowledge base. Sometimes when we don't, we don't exercise incredible blood, sweat, and tears over things, we don't necessarily see the value of it until other people come to us and ask us like, hey, you know this, I need your help. And then finally, you're like, I do know something. <laughs> and you can take all of those things and you can build something else. So maybe the answer is that it doesn't necessarily take the courage as much as it takes the recognition that you have so much in you that you don't necessarily recognize as being valuable to other people. And that's what we need to take a look at. How many of those times do people come to you and say, I didn't know that. And it's something that you just know, it's just part of your, your knowledge yeah. base. And, well, and, and then when you recognize that you share it. You two are a good example of that as well, because you both had journeys and experiences that had le have led you, led you to the work you're doing today. And so, you know, it's the same thing. Every single experience we have in our lives, give us an opportunity to be an expert at something, to be able mm. to help someone else navigate that journey, because there's always going to be somebody that's what, six months, five years behind you. And so everything that you have learned and all the information you've garnered from your journey is now what you can offer to someone else. Yeah. What well, I love most about your book too, though, is what you did, what we did. And this is why it is. So I can see the passion just flowing from you, especially in all of the emails and social media posts about the book, you created something that would have been helpful to you all those years ago on your own journey. Yeah. And now and it, it, you're able yes. to serve the world with that. Mm -hmm. And somebody that read it said, this is the handbook every teen girl needs before she becomes a woman. And I was like, it is, it's what I wish I had when I was young. Yeah. And it really is like that. It, it, it is almost a tool to say, okay, you can read this and now you'll be able to navigate life and make good decisions so that you don't have a lot of regrets. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't take you, doesn't take you forever to get to that place. Kristen and I, yeah, we like said we, we created Brilliantly Resilient to be the resource that we didn't have yeah. because you just don't want anybody else to have to slog through what you slogged through. Exactly. Exactly. There's I mean, not enough time. Way too many think, years that, of living um, away. That's the epitome of a servant leader because mm -hmm. there's tons of people that have been through things and then they're just, they get through and then they're sitting back and saying, I did it. Whereas this is why I love hanging out with, with folks like us, because it's okay, wait a minute. I have all this knowledge now and there's, a, there's some other people out there that could utilize it. And then, you know, putting that work out into the world. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. 
Well, this has been, as I knew it would be, a incredibly enlightening and um, inspiring conversation. So I want everybody to know where they can find you, where they can find the book. Don't forget about um, the fact that that Robin is a brilliant branding strategist. So if you're looking for that, we got that available for you too. Tell everybody where they can find more about you. So the best place to find me is my website, therobingram.com. It's Robin with a Y. So R-O-B-Y-N-G-R-A-H-A-M. I am the Robin Graham everywhere. So my branding is just me, the Robin Graham. And the book is You, Me, and Anxiety. And you can find that on the website as well. You can even go to youmeandanxiety.com. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been amazing to talk to you. I'm so glad we got a chance to touch base again. I always turn it over to Kristen because I forget something every time. So I'm going to let her take us out. <laughs> now, this has been so cool to hang out with one of our chicks again. I could sit here and chat all day and catch up. Hey, listen, you've now got a resource listeners and viewers out there for a massive reset to, to reset uh, through anxiety and work through it, not overcome it. So go get Robin's book. If you want additional resources for that, go to brilliantlyresilient.net. And we have a little button where you can sign up for our brilliance bit. We'll deliver it right to your email inbox every week. And it's a less than one minute read because who has time for anything more in your email inbox that will get you resetting, rising and revealing your brilliance every single week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise and reveal your brilliance.